Please listen carefully. Welcome to Christians in the Public Square with your hosts Cole Bennett and Scott Self. This week, our special guest is Albert Acosta. Hi, Albert. Hey, guys. Hey, Albert. Um, we'll introduce Albert in a moment. Cole, I'll have you introduce Cole, uh, Albert in a moment here. But before we get started, we should probably rehearse our three tenets of um, the Christian Citizen podcast. Absolutely. Starting with sacred cows make great barbecue. Delicious. Uh, let your flag fly proudly. That's right. And we are bros before politicos. That's right. We're brothers first and everything else is just details. Uh, Albert, welcome. Thank you. We're really glad you're here. Cole, why don't you introduce uh, Albert first? Albert Acosta is the preaching minister at the Mentor Lane Church of Christ in Abilene, Texas. Albert has been at Mentor Lane, I would, if I'm remembering correctly... Ten years. Ten years, and, but has lived in Abilene for quite a number of years. And he's our special guest today as we have um, opportunities to ask him about some of the very questions we talk about on this show. So, Albert, what you don't know is that Cole, when he's listening to your sermons, he's on the phone <laughs> texting me about uh, what he hears uh, every Sunday. So I get a synopsis of Albert's sermons every Sunday in my, uh, in my text box. And just a, a couple of weeks ago, um, you were preaching on the Sermon on the Plain. Mm-hmm. And a lot of what uh, Cole was hearing and, and reacting to uh, um, w- as, we, as, as he was texting me and I was texting him back, we were thinking, this is a conversation we really like to have with you on our podcast. So thanks so much for joining okay. us. And um, <clears throat> I really do appreciate you being here. Um, so one of the things we've been wrestling with and really trying to get our heads around is the degree to which we think about our influence in the world around us. I mean, I think, I think all three of us would agree that at some level, our faith has to have some influence on, on, on the world around us uh, and some effect, some positive effect. Um, but historically, the church has really struggled in identifying exactly what that should be and how, sh- how should we be thinking about that, that influence. Um, and so, you know, for example, uh, I happen to to really appreciate the passages in Scripture that talk about our responsibility to care for the widow and the orphan. Does, but does that mean that then um, that empowers me to take some of Cole's money through taxes and give it to the poor? Right. Um, uh, or or we might be concerned about sexual uh, sexual purity. Does that mean that we have the responsibility to ensure that everybody else is following whatever pattern mm-hmm. we've decided is most appropriate? So. Um, uh, one of the, one of the bigger challenges we're having, uh, and, and wrestling with in the podcast is kind of, what is that relationship and how should we be thinking about ourselves as Christians in the public square? How do you deal with it when you're thinking about your own responsibility, uh, uh, to testify to the, to the goodness of the gospel and, um, and also recognize that you're, you're representing the gospel in us in a place where you may or may not have authority well let, let, let me start by saying i don't know okay <laughs> that's fair <laughs> there, there is no gospel without relationship from the very beginning uh, god god gave moses a vision a mystical epiphany 
and the immediate result is to go let the Israelites free. Okay, so so there's a component of yes, there has to be a, a, an individual personal conversion, mm-hmm. but it must take you to liberate okay. the poor, the oppressed. Uh, we see the same thing with Jesus uh, in Luke chapter four, which is our text this year in the lectionary. Jesus gets this epiphany. He's God's son. The Holy Spirit is upon him. And the first thing he does is, I'm not here for you guys, those of you who know the scriptures, who are comfortable, who are pretty much have the control. I'm here for those that are oppressed, that are hungry, that are blind. And so, just like Moses, he came to start a community. I think Jesus did the same thing. And that's why Acts is so important. It's a story of how the story of Jesus was manifest in a community, a group of people. So my take on how to live in the world today is, one, it's through relationships. I like like to say I don't baptize strangers. That's why, personally, I don't like Mm -hmm. campaigns. You know, go put out the banners and the ads and the radio and bring in a thousand people and baptize a hundred. For me, that hasn't done it for me. Because there's no relationship. There's no relationship. Yeah. Uh, and then the, the important thing is, I agree with your teaching, and that's why I'm going to get baptized. Oh, right. And then, t- in my experience, those people tend to be the ones who cause problems, because eventually I'm going to say something that they don't agree with. <laughs> uh, my last year in Venezuela, we, our little church baptized, next to the last year in Venezuela, we baptized 10 people. Nine were brought to the church and eventually were baptized through the network of relationships. Uh, Somebody's aunt, somebody's cousin, a neighbor came to church. One person was reached, taught, and baptized through a Bible correspondence course. Uh, Within the year, that one person was gone. And yet, within a year, at at the end of a year, all those other nine were still meeting and faithful. So if if I'm hearing you correctly, then your your perspective is that the person who... Um, agrees with you or likes your teaching or likes what you said is becoming a disciple of a set of propositions rather than of the Generally, person of yes. Jesus? <clears throat> yes. Okay. And, and, and so when I'm in the world, I, I don't get excited about what politicians are, are enacting regarding welfare, homelessness. I applaud it. I may disagree with it, but I don't waste a lot of energy on it. And maybe waste isn't a good word, but I don't invest a lot of energy in that. But I will try to develop a relationship with a homeless person. Uh, instead of uh, carrying a banner in front of a, an abortion clinic, we took a little girl home and adopted her. And so to me, it's, it's easy to go to an abortion clinic and invest three or four hours of your day with a banner. I would rather see somebody go up to a woman coming in and say, if you don't kill your baby, you can live with us. How many bedrooms do we have that are empty right. in our middle-class society? Right. right. Okay. And that's really, really radical stuff, and most people won't hear that. Right. But that's my perspective. It's relationships. Me going out there and finding the poor and being incarnational with the poor. I will be Jesus to this person. Okay, let me... That's really a great answer, Albert, and I, I believe I'm hearing parallels of what I hear each week. And Scott did call me out because I actually do 
send him points that I think are really salient. Mm-hmm. When I and I wonder if you would agree with the points I'm sending. By the way, like, <laughs> like uh, Cole, you missed everything I say. You know, <clears throat> I don't know, but I want to push you a little bit on that because I'm I am both humbled and fascinated by the thought of living a life that says, you know, as a Christian, I don't put a lot of energy or angst or bother with how much the government does or doesn't do because you you pastor if you will a congregation full of people who feel very strongly one way or the other so how do you actually day to day enact a sense of i'm not going to bother about it you know how do you how do you do it i quit listening to talk shows okay i don't listen to a lot of news I quit watching the 10 o'clock news and the 11 o'clock news. I have disengaged. If I, if I listen to the news, I happen to be in the car, uh, and I'll hear some news, NPR or whatever. Uh, and I, I used to be a news junkie, and I'm not anymore, because I do find that year after year, election after election, it's the same stuff. <laughs> the world didn't come to an end. There was no apocalypse. And it's just different names, different players, different people to get angry with. Um, and so I just don't. I don't know if that answers your question. Well, I can imagine people in your congregation saying, Albert, don't you care that there is a solution for people who are ill and that we are not doing enough toward it? Okay. And my answer would probably be, uh, what have you done for an individual who is suffering those conditions? It's very easy to to pontificate, uh, to get angry, and yet we live in a comfortable, quiet, air-conditioned home, isolated from the trenches. Plus, I'm also hearing Albert say that it's the same old song. I mean, if I go through the same—if I I engage in the public square in the same ways that we've always— not always, but often engaged, then we have the same problems at the end of the day that we had at the beginning of the day, right? Right. As opposed to having transformative— influence in the community through yeah and, through and i think that comes through individuals through okay. one-on-one and so that's you know, i'm not bothered by being accused of, of not being engaged that that's fine but uh i'm i'm i try to invest my wealth the amount of power that i do have in virtue of my wealth my education i have a lot of power uh and i intend to and try to use that for individuals and and my goal is I think, to fully communicate the gospel is for that individual to become a member of our community. I hear you. Yeah. Outside, outside of my church community, I have nothing to offer. Got it, it that way. Got it. But within your church community, you have expectations, am I correct? Mm-hmm. You have, I mean, you have expectations of me as your brother. What would those expectations be? My expectations? Right, of me as, as your brother. Of you? Mm-hmm. The basic Christian tenets of... Well, let me let me sum it up by saying, and what I try to do in my preaching is to learn to be sacrificial. Got it. Discipleship means sacrifice, mm-hmm. and uh, that's basically it. How increase your giving, open your eyes, and increase your awareness of people in need around you, and they don't have to be poor people. That's uh, a great techn- point. Technically, everybody's poor. You got yeah. you know, poor in communication skills, poor in love, poor in respect. Yeah. I, I would rather have five or ten members really take that to heart 
than for somebody to donate $100,000 for an advertising campaign to make Mentor grow. I'd say no thanks, <laughs> personally. Okay, so let's talk about some uh, areas where these where your faith potentially comes in conflict with an idea of citizenship. I'll give you an example from my own. It's uh, when, when I've been asked to, to serve on a jury, for example, mm. I've, I, I'll be honest with you, I've felt conflict. I'm yeah. not sure that that's my job as a disciple, and yet <clears throat> The county in which I live expects that it is my job as a citizen, and I want to be a good citizen. I, I'm guessing that there are other uh, instances like that. Um, I mean, the extreme example is, you know, if you're a conchi and you don't want to, you know, if you're a pacifist like me and you don't think that you should go to war, you know, what would you do at the draft? But Can you elaborate for 30 seconds about jury duty? I'm, I'm puzzled about what your conflict. Well, I have three conflicts. So uh, one has to do with the fact that that's not my job in this, in this world. My job is not to judge. My job is to love. Okay. So when I am, I do judge, but I feel like that's a failure. Okay. Right? And when Jesus uh, utters the Lord's Prayer at the very end, the commentary he provides on his own prayer is, don't judge. The, the, the only thing he comments about the Lord's Prayer is, if you, if you fail to forgive your brother, then you will not be forgiven, right? Um, so it seems to me that that is a, a huge deal in the Gospels. And whenever I uh, engage in that kind of behavior, I feel like that's n not a proper manifestation or proper expression of my discipleship. Does that make sense? That's one. Winter three? Yeah. Second... Well, I guess I should have said there are two. The other one that I really struggle with is uh, in, in instances, and this has been a question for me when I've faced uh, voir dire, is do you believe in the death penalty? And I don't believe that that's, for me as, as, a, as a Christian, that's not something I could agree to. Which is probably why they ask it. I've never gotten to the point where they've asked me that in voir dire. Interesting. Thank you for sharing. I just was, wasn't sure what was behind that. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, it's, it's a silly example. I mean, it's not the end of the world. If I, if I need to serve on jury duty, I'll do the best <laughs> I can, but it's a conflict. You get $7 the first day and do you really $40 after that. But yeah, I, I do, I do think that there are probably places where, you know, if you're forced to, if, if you feel like it's your responsibility to vote, but do you vote for candidates who have um, values or points of view that are different from your own or agree to policies that you don't agree to, those kinds of things. Mm -hmm. So do you find places where your faith comes in conflict with your citizenship? Uh, yeah. Um, well, first of all, I don't vote. Interesting. I don't vote. And the first response I always get is, well, then you can't complain. That's <laughs> well, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> and so can you talk to us a little bit about that decision? Is that something you're willing to uh, share? I, I want to, first of all, as a, as a preacher, I want to be able to say, yeah, you can't, you can't peg me. I don't I can vote. totally hear that. Okay. Yeah. Uh, secondly, it's a spiritual exercise for me to really trust in God. Uh -huh. He put Caesar on the throne, yep. according to what I understand in Romans 13. Uh, he put Trump there. Uh, I think he put or allowed Obama there, whatever. So I'm, I'm not, I'm not. I'm not bothered by what they can or cannot do. Okay. 
Uh, so it's a spiritual exercise of trusting God. Okay. And a reminder that this is not my nation. So I just don't vote. And and then second or third, I forget where I am. But <laughs> so then you don't have to face jury duty if you're not registered to vote. Well, there you go. Thanks. <laughs> I, I can I can use that information. Um, and and then also all the all the research that has to be done now, I think, to vote responsibly. Yeah. And so many point. talking heads, and I see bias on Fox, I see bias on CNN, NPR, I see it everywhere. And so I don't want to hear these guys because they're just going to bash who's in power. And I don't want to hear those guys because they're just going to promote who's in power. So I just don't vote. Mm-hmm. Okay. I, I, I really, well, this will come, I think, in the other question, but uh, the places where I've seen conflict, the the most the one that stands out most is uh, a friend of mine, a drug addict, uh, very broken life, uh, had decided to come to Abilene, face the face the court. They'll probably get probation, and then we'll continue with our life. Okay. She and her husband, great. On the way down here, she found out she was pregnant. The judge. Uh, after the trial, gave her a year and a half of prison in TDC, Texas Department of Corrections. She believed, well, first of all, she would have delivered her baby in prison, mm-hmm. and she would have lost it. Her husband was here illegally, and she was afraid that she would have lost the baby. Oh, you mean that the baby would be taken into social taken services? Taken into, and uh, given to, as a ward of the state. Got it. Mm-hmm. And so she was in my house in our living room, Worried and crying, and she said, I can't. I can't. And I helped her can't. Mm -hmm. Instead of taking her back to the court, which I was supposed to do, I actually gave her a ride out of Abilene. And I could have gotten to prison for that, for aiding and abetting, a fugitive. But in my view, her natural right uh, overruled civil duty. I hear that. Yeah. A woman is entitled to her baby. And so, so I, I helped her escape, basically. So the conflict, what, I want to make sure I'm hearing you correctly, because I don't think I'm hearing you say that there is a conflict within you. You seem pretty certain about the decision you made. Yeah. I mean, yeah. ethically, Na- you, nat- you, natural law overrides. You put your head on your pillow and you went to sleep because you knew you did the right thing. Yeah. Natural law overrides or overrules uh, civil law. Yeah. And so. Again, I, I was answering to a higher power, which is God, mm-hmm. and not uh, the local government or th- whatever judge pronounced sentence on her. I used to study with these two guys, illegal, illegals from Mexico. They worked at a Chinese restaurant. The only time I could study the Bible with them was after work at 11 o'clock at night. And so I, these guys were far from home, lonely, confused. And so I'd pick them up every Tuesday. And go to Jack and Jill Donuts. <laughs> well, guess who's having coffee at Jack and Jill Donuts? <laughs> Every policeman in Abilene. Yeah. Yes. And so I had to, I, I, told, I didn't ask, I told my elders, I want you to know that your minister is taking illegals to have coffee and donuts. And I'm, and I'm, I'm giving them rides and so forth, you know. And uh, fortunately, they backed me. They said, we'll back you up if you do get arrested or something like that. Mm-hmm. Well, let me, ask you, let me ask you this then. Is, are there instances where you think because, because of 
scripture, you are compelled to act in the public square in certain ways or uh, to advocate for something specific in the public square. You mean like participate in a rally or? No, or. or uh, Gather signatures or what? Because I, I, I feel like by living, I am participating. I, I, because I don't think you're making, I, I, I'm guessing you're not making capricious decisions about uh, who gets justice and who doesn't get justice. Right. Right. This, there's something driving these decisions, and that's what I'm trying to get at an understanding of. Uh, to, to protect the vulnerable. Okay. Uh, feed the hungry. Ba- basically, Jesus' program in Luke chapter 4, uh, let, uh, let the, the oppressed go free, uh, how, however that may look. Right. Many times it's at um, personal expense. Okay. But that's what I'm here for. I can hear that. Okay. Yeah. Uh, because I don't have to punch a clock, go to an office for eight hours, uh, because I don't answer to department heads that want to see my production. I am available. Right. The fact that Mentor Lane supports me financially, to me, they support me financially so that I can be available for those things. So that's not so much a civil that's the, uh, discussion, but uh, that's what I get support for. Right. Some, you know, as people praise me, oh, you're so wonderful. You were out there helping this homeless guy. Well, in, in a way, it's my job. Yeah, I hear that. Okay. Yeah. And if, I, if I'm with him till what, or 2 o'clock in the morning, I don't have to get up at 7 o'clock right, and go to work. Right, right, right. Yeah, Albert, I, I thought of a follow-up question that, uh, may sound to some people listening like a contradiction. I don't think it's a contradiction in your mind, but I would like you to make it plain. A moment ago, you referenced your faith in Romans 13 regarding whom mm-hmm. God lets be in power or places in power, and you might want to right. comment about that. But in the next breath, you said, however, I am happy to ignore laws of the land when I feel that natural law supersedes it. Right. So Romans 13, to me, seems to say, do what the laws of the land say. Right. So how do you reconcile that? Well, you know, I, I, don't, I don't think Paul would have uh, accepted a sword if they threw him into the ring with some gladiators. But uh, I think he paid his taxes, hmm. for example. So that's what I mean, yes. Uh, I'm, I'm not going to... Uh, pick and choose. I think there are some few laws, natural laws, that will trump a lot of uh, civil laws. Like in this case, it was the prospect of a mother losing her baby. That I felt strongly about that one. Feeding these uh, undocumented workers and providing uh, not only physical but spiritual nourishment to uh, comfort their souls. And if the law had said it is illegal to transport these people, I would have done it anyways. Mm-hmm. Okay, but I observe traffic lights, I pay my tickets, I pay my taxes, and so forth. So perhaps you would say there's a small subsection where natural law and civil law interfere with each other, yeah. and you choose the natural and that, law. And that's where I have to choose. Without throwing the whole system of laws out. Right. Okay. Right. I'm not an anarchist. <laughs> I am. Uh, when, you, when, you, when you talk about uh, natural law, um, do you feel like natural law is defined in Scripture or exemplified? I mean, how do you, 
how do you uh, parse or? Yeah, I don't know. You don't know. I don't either. Yeah, uh, I'm not sure, but you know it when you see it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. When I see somebody being trampled, mm -hmm. then that's that. I think that's the kind of thing that drives me to ask the question: Is this violation of natural law? You know, you were, you mentioned Moses earlier. There, there is something. You remember when he comes back and he sees uh, the uh, the Hebrew being beaten, and he kills the man who's right, who's uh, beating one of his uh, one one of his brethren. There is a kind of uh, passion for justice. That's mm -hmm. I'm not advocating that by any means, obviously, but there is a passion for justice that is kind of manifest in Moses yeah. that seems that God really understood that quality of Moses's yeah. uh, heart in choosing him to, to become the, you know, the leader of an exodus. Right. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not sure God condoned it, but I think, like you said, he understood it. Yeah. Uh, Phineas, this guy brings a woman into the tent in front of everybody and starts having sex with her. A foreign woman, besides not his wife, and he grabs a spear and runs it through both of them. Mm -hmm. And then God promises to bless his family forever, <laughs> something like that. Uh, so I think I think uh, passion can be a good thing. Okay. Um, one of the things that I think Cole and I wrestle with is the role that many Christians believe their Christianity asks of them or calls them to that that we have a responsibility to um exercise power whether it's coercive whether it's persuasive in one way or another we have a responsibility to exercise power for the sake of for example the poor we have a responsibility to exercise power for the unborn we have a responsibility to exercise power for the hungry that we see a problem and it's our job to make society do a better job of taking care of uh, that problem or of uh, of of righting that wrong and i can Confess that I think, you know, historically, I think there are some moments where um, that seems important. I, I get the Romans 13 thing when you're talking about Donald Trump. I don't like it, but I get it. I don't get it when you're talking about the Reich. I don't understand. About what? The, the Third Reich, about Hitler. Right. Right. I don't understand then. Uh, it, it, it seems to me that that's a, that's a place where a number of us pacifists suddenly had a problem historically, Right. Uh, right. Niebuhr and others really all of a sudden realized that these solutions, these nifty solutions we came to of pacifism, of living agape in the world around us, yeah. were not sufficient. And there are instances where we do need to exert power. How do you think through that in a kind of a historical sense? Not so much in, I'm, I'm not, I'm guessing that in our daily lives, we're not running into those very often, but our daily lives are in some ways informed by those experiences. Well, I don't, I don't think you can have a Christian nation. Well, I think Cole and I both agree with you on that. Yeah, yeah. I, I do support the death penalty. Okay. And I do support having an army and an air force and having bombs. Uh, because uh, I, I am, I, I, J.D. Bales, professor of philosophy, uh, used to teach at Harding. Uh, he taught me, the Bible says to love your neighbor. Okay. But there is also a higher law to love your family. 
So if somebody breaks into my house and my wife and daughter are home, I will shoot them. I don't have a problem with that. And if ISIS lands you know, several hundred people in the U.S., uh, then I think it's the government's duty to wipe them out. And so... Well, it's nice. It's convenient to say it's the government's duty, but what, to what degree do you have a responsibility to participate in that or to not? I, I, I don't feel like I do have a responsibility to participate in that. Uh, again, it's, it's, a, it's a personal... Until you're drafted. If, if I would accept it, then I'd go as a pacifist. Yeah. Okay. I personally don't want to use a gun. Yeah. I'm not saying it's sinful. I'm not saying a Christian is going to compromise his soul if he does get on the infantry. But for me personally, mm-hmm. uh, I, I would not want to. Yeah. What I'm trying to get at is that there are these, there are times where it seems like God does call his people to exercise power, to act in, in ways that those who are being acted upon might not recognize as agape, right? Mm-hmm. When we were talking about Moses, for example, I'm right. sure Pharaoh doesn't think that Moses is a great guy and loving, right? But it's necessary. Um, and boy, howdy, is the Old Testament full of that. Uh, my, I guess my question is, in what sense does Christianity and does the, does the gospel itself call us to kind of exercise uh, power in the world around us? And the re- part of the reason I ask the question is because the, in the few instances where we see this happen in the gospels, Jesus rebukes his disciples for having acted in that way, right? So when they want to call down fire from heaven, he rebukes his disciples and says, this is not how we act. When Peter chops off, chops off the ear of the temple guard, um, Jesus says, those who live by the sword shall die by the sword. I don't see an instance where Jesus calls his disciples to live out power in the world around us, and right. yet this, he's the son of the God who did demand this. Mm-hmm. And so how do you think about the, the difference between, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm hinting at something that I don't agree with, and I'm hinting at the idea that, that uh, Jesus is not a good Old Testament guy. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's, a, that's, an, that's interesting. But I, I, I preached on the desert experience last week, and it's interesting that Jesus didn't come to inaugurate uh, a big program or to tear down oppressive programs. He said no to a personal temptation. That's very interesting. Yeah. Okay. Three that was subversive. Yeah. Yeah. And I think if everybody said no to personal temptations, we would eliminate so many problems. I can hear that. That is fast. It is. Okay. Uh, and, and Satan tried to get an individual to fall. Okay. Uh, how many times should Trump say no? And I'm not picking on Trump. He just happens to be the president. Right, right. Um, how many times I have a friend who I feel was railroaded into a plea agreement for 20 years in prison for a murder she did not do. Did, did the lawyer, who I feel did not properly represent her, should he have said no to some temptation? And the judge, you know, re-election's coming up, I need to be tough on crime, whatever. Uh, so again, where I am in the moment, and I hope this is not a cop-out, but where I am in whatever moment, I pray that I will do the right thing, not out of fear, not out of hatred. 
So what, to what degree would you call that situational? Are you comfortable with uh, the suggestion that you've just described situational ethics? No, I'm not comfortable with that, but I, I, I try not to care about labels. If that's what it is, then to that degree, do I agree with situa- situational ethics? That's so great. It is. I wouldn't call it that, but if you want to, go ahead. Yeah. No, I, listen, I'm, uh, I'm saying, I'm asking that as a person who believes I'm a, I'm a virtue ethicist. I believe that virtue matters more than rules. And so obviously right. I'm, uh, that sometimes gets turned into, uh, an accusation of situation. Yeah. yeah as, as long as I maintain my, 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 my integrity yeah. all the way down, you can see the gospel basis for each decision that I'm comfortable even though some people may call it situational ethics. But. Okay, we talked a little bit, uh, uh, I don't know if it was last time or a couple of times ago, we talked a little bit about Westboro Baptist. So I'm going to ask some questions now. Um, if I had a gun, I would have shot him. No, the, uh, sorry, <laughs> Westboro Baptist are the God hates fags people, right? Yeah. Oh, I'm, I thought you, know you were talking about yeah, Baptist I Church you, yeah. down south. Yeah. A, a gunman went in and... No, no. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. If really. I had a gun, I'd shoot them too, but that was okay. a different conversation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, f- I forget exactly. I just know they were pretty hateful. Yeah, radical I, guys. This is, uh, yeah, they're, they're, uh, they're busy right now. This, uh, this weekend, they've got a big rally going on. They were protesting at funerals, right? Yeah. Okay, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, uh, uh, but, but when we had talked about them, you know, it's kind of an extreme example of where Christian, where I feel like, and I think you agree with me, Cole, that Christianity kind of went wrong. Yeah. Something's wrong there. Right. right? Um, when you look at the the landscape of evangelicalism or of Christianity in the United States and the ways that um, uh, Christians think about ourselves in the uh, in the public square and the kinds of things you hear uh, folks believing and and professing, what do you wish the church knew? What do you wish the church heard? I mean, you're a preacher. You stand in front of the the church and tell the church, you know what it means to live out the gospel. What do you mm-hmm. wish that Christianity would spend more time thinking about uh, when it comes to... Our- personal involvement in the issues. A personal sacrifice. That makes sense. Okay. Again, instead of protesting in front of an abortion clinic and sending a lot of money to help people do that, uh, offer to help a young lady who's in distress. Do you feel like okay. the church is when they're when they're doing those things that they're being wrong or being ineffective or are those? I, I think I think m- many times they're taking the easy route. Okay, it looks good. You can live with the satisfaction that you're doing something, but it doesn't hurt. Where's the where's the cross in that? How are you being crucified? This comes back to what you were saying just a moment ago about the idea of sacrifice. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. How how how, how does a what, what does it cost you to go to an abortion clinic? What does it cost you to go protest um, at the immigration office? What does it cost? You? Where's the sacrifice? Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, Jesus died on a cross, and he asked us to do the same. Uh, and we say, "I would go to the cross." Yeah, but you don't want to give up your bedroom, spare bedroom. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but you insist on buying a new car every two years instead of sending money to support an orphanage mm-hmm. or something. I, I would like to see more personal sacrifice. 
Okay, then, Albert, let me let me push a little bit. And s- You're the pusher, huh? <clears throat> I am. Scott's in this particular episode. <laughs> yes. I'm the pusher. Go ahead. So, to the people in your church who are more mm-hmm. libertarian like I am, who would say, Albert, don't you see how much more money I would have in my hand to send to an orphanage if the government would get out of my way? So, that's why I involve myself in politics, is to try to get people voted into office who'll get off my back. Mm-hmm. More power to you. <laughs> okay, but... Yeah, I, don't, I don't see conflict. I don't know what you're pushing against. Well, that means that I am highly... That that would lead me to become highly involved in the election process and in the vote, get the voter turnout. And, mm-hmm. and the other people in your church, let's say on Scott's side, would say, you talk about the oppressed and the trampled and the hungry. Don't you see how if we engage the state, we can have a lot of those people taken care of, which would necessitate me being involved in the election process? So we would collectively say to you, how is it more important for me to sacrifice myself than to do those things? I I would probably say, uh, if you think that that's enough and God is not calling you to do anything personal, then I think you're mistaken. I think you would agree with that, too, wouldn't you? Yes. Yeah, I, yeah. I would say I'm trying to Im- involve both personal right, right. and, but I hear you saying you're not so interested in involving... Personally. Yes, personally. Yeah. Okay. I, 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 don't, I, don't, I don't feel any kind of call or guilt <laughs> okay. so, to, to but, go to any rallies or... But on the flip side, you also don't think that you helped Jesus out by paying your taxes either, right? It's, in other words, that, that, that your taxes went to care for the poor doesn't mean that that was any sacrifice on your part to actually care for the poor. It was just what you had to do to keep the state happy. I think I understand that, yes. <laughs> <laughs> you don't see it as a, a virtue that, to pay taxes. No. Yeah. Right. Right. No. Or an exercise of faith other than to it's obey an obligation. the obligation. It's right. an obligation. You yeah. render under Caesar what is Caesar's. Yeah. And then if they decide to help some, if they s- decide to support Medicare with that money, then whatevs, you still have a responsibility to care for the poor. You still have a responsibility to care for the sick in ways that are sacrificing. Right. Okay. I can hear that. I would like to hear Albert tell the story about when he had to, when he realized he had, that he was more a member of the way then the, okay so so else. this is where this is where things yeah this is where it all meets the rubber meets the road for us you uh, uh when when you preached the sermon on the plane yeah. was it the one yes because yeah, it was at the end of that where he said albert told about uh, a moment when he realized that um being a christian was more important than being a mexican american mm-hmm. can you help us for an oppressed minority yeah, help us understand that story. Um, <clears throat> it all started when I was in the mission field in Venezuela. Uh, I came to Abilene for a furlough uh, to work towards my master's. And I was in the library th- thumbing through a Christianity Today, and there was an editorial. And this is in the 80s, the Cold War. And, and I, I wish I knew who said it. I don't know who the editor was at the time. Or if it was a guest editor, I don't know. But he said, uh, the nation to which I belong has no pagan Americans in it. But it does have believing Russians. And I really 
it really resonated with me. And that was in the 80s, 88 maybe. And then I really liked that because as a preacher, uh, I've never been happy with the Greek word uh, basilea, uh, which is kingdom. Mm-hmm. Because, and I've said this many times from the pulpit, we don't deal in kingdoms anymore. Mm-hmm. Unless you're watching uh, Game of Thrones or, right. or playing video games. We don't have a reference for that. Yeah, what's kingdom? Yeah. And I've always struggled with that. And usually, uh, if the word comes up in one of my texts, uh, I'll spend some time and explain why I don't like kingdom. I think nation is, is one, one good translation for that. Uh, and so... Uh, the nation to which I belong doesn't have any North American pagans, but it does have believing Russians. That's the way he said it. Well, I, I have updated it and say the nation to which I belong doesn't have any North American pagans, but it does have believing Arabs. And then, uh, being in El Paso, that's where I'm from, and uh, my sister was very, she's an active, she teaches political science, very I think, she, I think you'd call her an activist, uh, very keen on uh, social and racial justice. She got upset with me because they were talking about racism, and I said that I don't perceive it. I don't see it. You're a Mexican. How can you not see it? And I said, well, maybe I'm blind. Maybe I don't know. I just didn't. And so I, I just started thinking about that more, and then I don't know where— the, the next little shift came. Uh, I did find out about uh, Juan Crow laws. You ever heard of that? You heard Juan of Jim? Crow? No. I've heard of Jim Crow, but not Jim Juan Crow. Crow. Yeah, well, some people call it Juan Crow. <laughs> okay. Where uh, Hispanics were prohibited from going to white schools in South Texas uh-huh. and in California. Uh, Hispanics were not considered citizens for jury duty. That was a Supreme Court case there. I meant to get the name before I came, and I forgot. Uh, Restaurants that would not serve Hispanics. And I I thought, well, I was incensed. Wow. But then, for some reason, I remembered that quote. And so I had to adjust it. And this is what I preach now. Especially, I'm like like a token Hispanic, okay? I get invited to racial (laughs) forums and stuff like that. (laughs) At least that's how I feel. But now I will tell them, especially these groups, uh, the nation to which I belong has no pagan Americans in it. It does have uh, Arab believers in it, and it also has white believers in it. And the nation to which I belong does not have any Hispanic pagans in it. That's, that's how that came about. You know, what does that mean? How does that flesh out? I don't know, but I am not going to get all angry and mean towards whites for all the atrocities that were done at the hands of whites. But when I hear of those things, I pray for them, and I always say, have mercy on us, because I know that I also have told many ugly jokes about white people, and I also have been racist. Uh, this one Hispanic church where I, where I was, uh, Every other, every two or three months, uh, everybody would get together, all the small groups, and one of the, the Hispanic group that met in the chapel, uh, they formed one group, 
And every three small group Sundays, we would have a super small group. So you'd have your Hispanics meeting with two or three other Anglo groups. And then during one of them, right after church, before the meal, one of our members told another member, hey, I've got a pot of menudo at my house so that we don't have to eat with the gringos. That guy was not acting like my brother. Right. I can hear that. Okay. And yet, the Anglo who was looking forward to meeting, that person is my brother, Mm. was acting like my brother. Okay. So that's where all that comes from. Uh, Don't don't use me to add um, uh, vitriol and anger, angry energy because of all the injustices done towards Hispanics. Okay, I I offer forgiveness, and I pray for God have mercy on us, not just them. I really appreciate you saying this, uh, bringing this up, Albert. I I think one of the ways— You brought it up. Well, (laughs) one of the ways that this uh, conversation happens is that we tend to um, think—we tend to treat racial issues as, um, in our culture, as kind of unforgivable sins. Right. Um, and not recognize our own culpability. So it's really convenient for me, not convenient, but it's, it's, it works for me to look down my nose at people who have done blackface, because I never have done blackface, and I never would have. But um, that doesn't give me a high horse mm-hmm. on which I can sit and judge those who have. I do, but I shouldn't. Um, uh, it, what I need to be able to do is to look at my own self and see the ways I've treated people and repent for it and then offer, um, offer the good news of repentance and, and, and forgiveness, uh, to the world around me rather than the, the, um, the gift of judgment that I'm just so often willing to offer instead. I, I, I I think that's one way to understand Jesus's baptism. Why was he baptized? He had no sin. But I think he was accepting the faults of humanity. Wow. And being baptized with them. Uh, I, I, just, I just read about the shooting in uh, 500 people in, was it Kenya or Congo, a couple of days ago? And my response was, God have mercy on us. Right. Okay. I, I hear of the atrocities of ISIS. And I said, God, have mercy on us. Uh, a friend who uh, got raped, I say, God, have mercy on us. Okay, I think, remember I, I, I said recently in a, in, a, in a sermon about a sign next to a highway, okay, bumper to bumper, and the, and the sign said, stuck in traffic? You are traffic. <laughs> <laughs> okay? And... And I think we, we need to accept solidarity with the world and the faults of the world and do our own to not let those things happen in our own little circles. Yeah. You are traffic, Cole. I know. I told you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Albert. Our guest today has been Albert Acosta, the preaching minister at Mentor Lane Church of Christ. Albert, thank, thank you, you for Albert. being here. Thank appreciate you. you. You're welcome.